0: Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice-monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, ask people who are smarter and harder-working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. And we're here this month live from the Emerging Contaminants Conference, the famous, world-famous Emerging Contaminants Conference at the University of Illinois. My name is Stuart Carlton. I am assistant director of Illinois-Indiana Sea Grant, and I know a lot about the shockingly aggressive geese that are on the uh, <laughs> campus of the University of Illinois, and I know certain things about their mating rituals that would not be appropriate to share on this family podcast, but I do not know a lot about the Great Lakes, and that is the reason for this podcast. And I'm joined today by an extremely special Guest host, guest co-host, the original nerdle herself, Sarah Zach. <laughs> Sarah, how's it going? It's
1: going great, Stuart. How are you?
0: It's going great. Actually, let me double check that we're recording, and then I'll let you know how it's going. Oh, it's going so good. It's going muy bueno. Fantastic. So, tell us before we get started. Tell us just a little bit about the Emerging Contaminants Conference. This is something you do every year, come hell, high water, pandemic, or whatever. Why? Why did you start doing this, Sarah? Oh my
1: God, why did we start doing this? You're
0: probably asking yourself that this very
1: week. Yes. (laughs) We started it in 2016 to provide a place for people to come and talk about pharmaceuticals. And it went so well that we decided that we were going to do it again, and we were going to make it bigger, and we were going to talk about all the contaminants everywhere all the time. And the rest, as they say, is history. The rest
0: is history. Well, fantastic. I'm really excited to be here um, after wanting to come for many years because this is actually, this is something that we're really excited about within Illinois-Indiana Sea Grant, which we don't talk about too much about on this program because mainly it's about, you know, making like fart jokes and stupid songs and talking to people who are smart. But, but uh, you know, just bringing together all of these researchers is really, uh, really awesome. So we're glad to do it. But... We're not here to talk about how awesome we are. That's implicit. We're here instead to talk about all sorts of fun, uh, emerging contaminant-related issues. And so with that, we have a special guest. But before we get there, I believe our guest is a researcher, is he not? He
1: is. He is a research chemist.
0: A research chemist. It's time for, of course, everybody's favorite, the researcher feature theme song. Research feature, a feature in which a researcher going to teach us about the Great Lakes. Our guest today is John Scott. He's a senior analytical chemist at the Illinois Sustainable Technology Center. John, thank you so much for coming on. How are you today?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's really good to be here. So we're going to start big picture. What, what is an analytical background? I changed majors to avoid chemistry, okay? Same. Not just once, either. Uh, so what is an anal- analytical chemistry was after I had dropped out of the chemistry deal. Uh, well, the chemistry class deal. And so um, what what is analytical chemistry? What do analytical chemists
2: do? It's actually the science of measurement. And um, that's what we excel in, is being able to measure things all over. And that's we're actually needed by all sorts of research. Everybody needs measurements. Everybody needs analytical chemists. And it really makes my job much more rewarding. You know, one day it's penguins. The next day it's sediments. The next day it's water samples. So we get involved in all different types of interesting, fascinating, wonderful research projects.
0: And so so when you say measurements, I, I don't I'm sorry for my ignorance. How do you measure something in chemistry? I feel like you're mixing acids and bases and making explosions. Uh, but that's probably not your day-to-day anyway. So, so like you, are you, is it like physical measurements or, or what kind of It just
2: depends on what we want to look for. But a lot of times we do think, we do like, uh, we employ light or we look at, you know, atomic mass of something, how much it weighs or potentially, you know, how it interacts with some type of uh, media that we can measure. And, you know, we can look at things like temperature, we can look at light, we can look at vibration, we can look at just whatever, you know, in the physical world that we can measure, we can apply to monitor these things in the environment or in a sample. That's
0: really cool. Okay. And so um, uh, so, so, this is an applied field, I guess, then, right? In that you're not, are you, Is it really theoretical? Are, are there applications? What are you working on? The answer is days? yes.
2: Okay. Both. In fact, you know, the the theoretical part, we have to develop methods to analyze things for things that nobody else has looked for. Oh, right. And then also we use it on the applied side, like in the environmental, when we want to measure these things in the environment.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Oh, that's right. And some of your earlier work on microplastics, in fact, was doing that, right? Like our microplastic measurements were too big? Is Uh, that right?
2: That's one thing. As we go down in size, we see these things occur more and more and more. So the size is so important. (laughs) I'm all too aware. All
0: too aware. Interesting. Okay. Fantastic. And Sarah, how did you get started with John?
1: Y'all have, y'all have done some stuff together. How did we get started? We, I mean, I feel like we just have always known each other for a very long time. I think probably I met John through the Emerging Contaminants Conference. Because it's always been co-hosted by Sea Grant and the Illinois Sustainable Technology Center. And so there's always been a really great contingent of Sustainable Technology Center folks that would come and attend the conference and present at the conference. And so I'm sure that's how, how John and I met.
2: And Sarah's a great person to work with. She's always open to new ideas, and she never says no. And, uh, yeah. But the other thing is the relationship's very important because we th- believe that Sea Grant, what they do, is so important. Public outreach is really the uh, the biggest, the one of the best ways to solve these problems yeah. with emerging contaminants.
1: And But John says that I don't say no, but I think John is very much an ideas guy. John thinks big picture, and he's got a lot of... He's always got a lot of new ways to look at problems brewing in his head. And you, start, you sit down with John and you start talking about it and you come away with three, four, five ideas for research projects. Then you've got to find the money for them, right? <laughs> you've got to find the money for them. You've got to find the people for him. But, um, John, you don't ever have any shortage of ideas, that's for sure.
0: Well, fantastic. But we're not here just to talk about how amazing we are. <laughs> uh, we're here. So at our live events, we like to do games. And so um, everybody who's here can attest. What we have here is a big box of ideas. Uh, this is huge. Bringing this box here was a significant challenge. Enormous. You're going to strap situations. it to the roof. It was. It was. And, and um, anyway, but I was able to do that. And in this box, we have some ideas. So what we're going to do is we're going to rummage around in the box. And we're going to pick a topic out of the box in which we rummage and then uh yeah you can hear some rummaging you hear a rummage a good rummage and then john is going to go on that topic all right the first randomly picked topic uh, i picked this one sarah will pick the next one is microplastics john I'm a little behind on my micro... Well, first of all, microplastics. Let's start with our very first episode, the most downloaded episode in the history of teaching about the Great Lakes. Episode 1 with Sarah Zack. The episode that was so good that we invited Carolyn to be on the show permanently. Um, And Sarah to be back many times. Uh, So, but it's been since about episode 1, since we've really talked about microplastics in detail. So, short version, what is a microplastic and why do we care?
2: Well, first of all, it's the size. Uh, Microplastics are typically considered... um, uh, synthetic materials that are in the size range of about one micron to five millimeters. So that's kind of our definition. Okay.
0: So size basis, micro size. And, and and so these are things that come from basically any plastic, right? Do they uh, slough off of plastic or is it when they break down? Or We what? actually
2: have two categories. You have primary microplastics. And these are things that were made intentionally to be very small. That's similar to like all the The the, um, uh, microbeads. The microbeads in my skincare regimen. Yes, thank you. And then also, so there's industrial embraces that are made to be very small. But then the second source of them, as we call secondary, and is probably the most common source of these, is from breakdown of larger pieces of plastic. You know, plastic really doesn't degrade. It just breaks down to smaller and smaller pieces over time. And,
0: like, so that's something bigger. It just... As I don't know, like a truck runs over the plastic water bottle you threw out of your car, and then like another truck runs over the shards or that kind of thing, or even could be like, is there a, an aquatic like wave action? Can that cause? Yeah, plastic absolutely.
2: A yeah, mechanical and ultraviolet light makes these these things break down faster over time, and um, there's a lot of factors, but the big ones are mechanical, ultraviolet light. There's even some bio. Um, degradation some microbes will help assist the breakdown of of microplastics that
0: makes sense and so what do you do with microplastics exactly what do
2: i do yeah oh that's a lot I, i started off in just measuring these things and finding ways to isolate them and then count them and size them but we also look at what sticks to them in the environment because it's a lot more than just microplastics right they absorb pollutants from the environment they harbor um uh microbes and, and, and the biodiversity of the, of the biological materials that associate with them are much different than the surrounding environment. And we know that we actually add over 6,000 chemicals to plastics as additives, so, and these are really high levels, to give them the desirable properties and colors that we want. So it's a lot more complex than just plastic alone.
0: Wow. So it's almost like their own little ecosystems, yes, right? That's
2: exactly right.
0: Holy smokes. That's something else. And so, last I heard, when we spoke with Sarah about microplastics four years ago, or whatever it was, um, we knew that they were everywhere, but it was still early to know if they were doing anything. Like, are they bad? Other than it seems not good. Um, But what do we know? we, we think we know a lot, but what do we know for sure about the effects of microplastics, either on human health or the environment or
1: whatever? I mean, I think the jury's still out in a lot of ways. I think there's definitely evidence that they take up space in the gut of animals, right? If you're eating plastic instead of eating nutritious food, clearly that's not good for you, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, no matter what animal you are. With some of
0: the food my kids like to eat. Right, right,
1: right. <laughs> Um, but I think, you know, a lot of the concern now might be shifting and maybe John can attest to this or not, might be shifting towards looking more at what's stuck to the microplastics more so than the microplastics themselves. I'm seeing a lot more of that kind of research now.
0: So do we know if our body breaks down microplastics? So like I eat a microplastic, uh, and, and, um, yes, you do. Yeah. (laughs) Like it or not. Uh, And and so does my body break that down or I just, let's be delicate, do I just excrete it later?
1: It would be excreted later, which, um, you know. So maybe it's okay, right? a, a A lot of times we're seeing studies are being done looking at scat from animals to see if you can find microplastics in the diet. But now a lot of research is finding that these microplastics, which then break down to nanoplastics, are actually being found in our blood and in our lungs and are actually being more absorbed into our tissues. So it's not as simple as taking it in, swallowing it, and excreting it.
0: So now that nobody smokes, so maybe they're going to start showing kids in seventh grade, like instead of the the black lungs, (laughs) it'll be the plastic lungs. Interesting. And so microplastics, this seems like we're just in the beginning stages of this then. And and we got other topics, but briefly, like... uh, is this just something that's going to happen forever, or are there things we're doing to try to, I mean, reduce the amount of micro—I mean, I we, Sarah and I, we talked about all these plastic, you know, uh, alternatives we use, right? And I still use the scrub brush, and uh, I no longer use the microbeads, okay, and we try to use little plastic, and—but, and, and, I mean, that's not doing anything, you know, relative to, like, uh, the industrial um, and, and all this stuff, and, and so— is there anything we can do, or do we just study it and say this is a trade off, I think, in, in society?
2: I think we should, you really need to, to think twice about the materials that we use, yeah. right? I mean, a lot. I think single use plastic is a great place to start. Right. I mean, it's insane that you have a material that's been designed to last forever but only intended to be used once. Yeah, do we right need to, this, this model, we need to get away from that. And that would really make a difference right there. And, you know, it's not all gloom and doom. I mean, people, if they're conscientious, if they, I believe, I'm an optimist. If you tell somebody, you know, how their choices affect the environment and affect their health, that they'll make the right decisions and hopefully move away from these materials and start to make a difference.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that on a, on a personal scale, any changes that people can make to their habits are good things, right? But the fact of the matter is that the real root of the problem isn't you or I using plastic wrap, right? It's the large scale, um, you know, industrial pollution that's really problematic. I think one, t- one thing too, um, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot, John, but like I think part of the thing with microplastics too is that we don't know where they're coming from. And so more research to find out, like, if we have plastic in an area, can we find out what it is and where it came from? Because then maybe we can go back and we can prevent it from entering the environment in the first place. But unless we know what that plastic is or where it came from, that's a really difficult job.
2: I believe a lot of it's tied to solid waste. I mean, we know that landfills is really the destination for the vast majority of plastic over there. But I don't believe the story ends at the landfill, yeah, right? Because no, over either. time, they yeah. will break down to smaller and smaller sizes. It's just going to end up in
1: the soils eventually, yeah. right? A lined landfill only stays lined for so many years, I think. Yeah. And
2: then the leachate is sent to a wastewater treatment plant. Which then is, goes through the system and then goes to the biosolids, which then are land applied. And so then, that we're just kind of shifting it from one right. environment. Right, and, and the
1: wastewater, it. all their microplastics aren't removed from the wastewater. And the fibers aren't removed from the wastewater. And even even though they do a very good job, they still can't get everything. Yeah,
2: that's true. And they're not designed to handle that. And it's not fair to point the finger at them either. No,
1: because you they're know. actually trying to solve the problem that they're incapable of. Their equipment is incapable of solving.
2: That makes sense. Okay.
0: Now, I've hooked up, I'm solving, I'm solving our headphone problem uh, one bit at a time, which you don't have to do it, but for future, uh, teach me about the Great Lakes live from uh, uh, Iagler. You should come, uh, Tuesday of Iagler. So I'm working on the headphone problem. So what I have also done is you can see, those of you live, I've hooked up, I've gotten rid of the box, and now we have a huge wheel that we're going to spin, uh, Price is Right style, and see what we land on. Sarah, why don't you give that wheel a spin right now? Oh, look at that. What did it land on? PFAS and PFOAs. Another big topic. What do you know? All right. So my main question with these is always, one: well, how hosed are we, John? That is my question. Uh, first of all, what are they? And second of all, how hosed are we? Um, in your per- professional opinion as an analytical chemist.
2: So these are a class of compounds that are unique, that they contain fluorine-carving bonds. Um, we also... We, we classify them as PFAS, but there's really over 10,000 of these compounds um, known to exist. So it's pretty complex. Um, they're commonly used for nonstick coatings. Teflon is kind of related to these PFAS. So um, they're used in firefighting foams. So they, they're, they're quite ubiquitous, and they're all over the place. I think we have to be a little careful, though, when we talk about PFAS because... You know, when we talk about concentrations in the environment, it's really part per trillion, yeah, which, was, which is... Um,
0: that's not imaginable. Like, how many, how many drops in the swimming pool is a part per trillion? That's good. Not many drops in lots of swimming pools. Not many drops in lots of swimming
1: pools. (laughs) And there's your title. There it is. Nailed it. (laughs) It would be like
2: trying to find a cup of mercury in Lake Michigan. I mean, it it would be, it just be, it's a very, very, very minute concentration. We talk about, I mean, now, granted, there are hot spots. There are places that are really high. But for the most part, when, when we look at the environment, we're talking very, very low levels.
0: And so this comes from, like, flame retardants and stuff. But, I mean, if it's such a low level where, like, a cup in Lake Michigan can be potentially... I mean, what do you do about that?
2: I don't, I'm not convinced that at environmental levels, they are, um, I'm not, I haven't been shown the data yet that they would incur adverse effects in wildlife and humans' health yet. I'm not convinced from what I've seen so far. At higher levels, yes, we see cancer, we see endocrine disruption, but in the part per trillion levels,
1: I think, I, I mean, I, yeah, I can't disagree with that, especially since what you're seeing from different states is that some states are seeing high enough levels where they feel the need to have fish advisory or consumption advisories, but other states simply aren't seeing that. And so the same species of fish you can eat in one lake but not in another. I think it's very location-specific. It tends to be very location-specific. We saw some talks today where folks were doing sampling um, I saw one, it was outside of, uh, an, I don't know if it was an Air Force base or an airport, or maybe both, and the levels were very, very high. Well, you have historical use of firefighting foams there, so you expect that to be high. So maybe some of these larger point sources can be contained. That low level that we're finding throughout the environment will ultimately end up being less of an issue she said with a question mark at the end because <laughs> it's really difficult to say yeah
0: and, there's just, and this is really early stage, right? There's, are we still doing a lot of the sort of basic research to even understand this is my understanding. Is that right? That's
2: right. And one of the big problems is it's because of us analytical chemists. We've done such a good job at measuring things at such a low level, and it's a good thing. It's almost like we're, we've, we're the early warning system, and we're to tell you, hey, and we've seen this in the past with other pollutants like PCBs and flame retardants, and um, we're able to catch it sooner. So, and I think, you know, we really have to – we need convincing data – that shows that, it's, that they're tox, that they have toxological response at these low levels. But I really think the solution is to turn the tap off. I think we need to stop making these fluorinated compounds. We need to find uh, alternatives that, are, that, are, uh, that do not have as much environmental impact.
0: Yes, right? I agree. But so right before we had kids, we found out about BPA. And everybody was like, get rid of the BPA. And they did. I mean, that stuff disappeared overnight. But now we're finding out, I don't know, maybe this other stuff isn't good either, right?
1: And, and, and the same thing happened with PFAS, right? They quit making the long chain PFAS because, I mean, we've known that those were dangerous since, what, the 60s? And so they started making these shorter chain PFAS like Gen X, and now we're finding that they're causing very similar problems. So I don't know what the, yes, yeah, so I don't know. So an I guess there's no you, way to but... know, though,
0: right? So, I mean, part of your job is we, to say this is the best we can do. And then to later find out that we need to do better. I don't know. Is that, is that, uh, that feels dis- distressing in some ways, I think.
2: Well, I guess it's, the, you have to just consider, you know, where these things are being used. Is, are they absolutely necessary? Does it matter that the cheese sticks to your pizza box? Can you live without that? I mean, you know, that's. And I
1: think just like microplastics too, I think a lot of times we don't have a lot of choice in what we can buy. But if we put pressure on these companies at the larger scale to make their products without these things, right? Like maybe you don't package your toilet paper in plastic. You package it in paper. Maybe you don't line your boots in Gore-Tex. You line them in something different, right? And if, if we vote with our wallets, then the pressure gets put on, and then I think that can affect real change.
2: Wow, that's spot on. And along those lines, it's again, I'm an optimist. I believe if you tell people, and that's one of the things is people buy these products and they have no idea nope, that they contain- yep. we need better that's labeling. Totally true. We need we need the we need the industry to label these things so people know that they're in are these materials and they can make the right choice.
1: I mean, in an ideal world, we in the United States would do things like they do in Europe and we would prove that something's safe before it goes out into the marketplace oh. rather than putting it out in the marketplace and then figuring out that it's toxic. But this is the United States and we don't do things that We make that a different set of
0: trade-offs, right? Yeah.
1: This is a publicly funded I make no. Uh, my views do not necessarily
0: represent yeah. the views. It's well, secret. they don't, and this is a partnership with Goby Dog Media. We would like to point out. Okay, it's uh, the
1: precautionary principle, though. This is a widely regarded right. Like, you find out something safe, and then you let people use it. It makes it makes a lot of sense.
0: No, it does. It does, but it's, it's complicated, and there are other such trade-offs you can make. Absolutely, we understand that. But no, I think that your view is a very, very understandable one. Right, where it's like, so the downside of the choice that we make is that sometimes we wind up in these situations where people like John Scott. Tell us that we've been uh, hosing ourselves the whole time. Okay, good. Now, John, this time I want you to step up to the wheel and give it a really good spin. Uh, all right, and the wheel landed on um, CECs in Great Lakes fishes? Do we know anything about that?
2: Uh, I know it's a problem. Okay, <laughs> or if not,
0: maybe the wheel. check. <laughs>
1: Asked and answered. So yeah, so so
0: what 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 chemicals uh, contaminants do we need to be worried about with great? I mean, the classic one I think about is mercury, which is one. That's not really emerging at this point, right? That's that's just a CC.
2: Neither yeah, is PFAS. If you think about it, these yeah. we've known about these things forever. But uh, mercury is definitely a concern. and that's uh, we could we find mercury in every fish we look at. Yeah, it's just interesting, and and
0: that's one that we know that we know there's a connection right? Um, and same with PCBs. We know there's a connection. Oh, yeah.
2: PCBs. They are going down. We are seeing there's monitoring programs that have been tracking them over time. And since we've phased them out, we definitely see them going down. But there's still, and even DDT, we still find them. But we saw a great talk this morning about uh, um, endocrine disruptings and estrogen and, and how it affects the reproducing. I mean, that was a great talk this morning, um, which is a perfect example of CECs and fish. But there's, there's so many things, we can't measure them all. No, I mean, I think
1: pharmaceuticals are the are like that generic class of things that we go, oh, CECs, pharmaceuticals, we know that they're bad, but there are so many, and there are so many degradation products of all of them that, you know, it's like PFAS. It's just, there's just, there's too many to address one by one.
2: You probably interact too. Mercury, you know, all you have mercury there, you have estrogen, you have pharmaceuticals, and they all could be synergistically... Delicious,
1: delicious cocktails of yep. contaminants.
2: Look at you! Uh, you're just trying to hit the title, right? I
0: know what's <laughs> happening. That's fine. I've, I've seen this behavior before. But, but, yeah. And meanwhile, you find out your endocrine is being disrupted, right? And and that's it's no good. Uh, so, what about with all this? So, I don't know. Help how, how me contextualize this, because I, I don't. Want, I'm going to walk out of here and just start sweating, and being nervous. And and but then the other thing is, like, I know that my life expectancy is, you know, it's. it's Actually, I don't know what it is. We're going to call it eighty years ish, right? And and so so is this stuff that, that can we think will have like a life expectancy effect, or is it just like at least a lot of health things? Or how do we balance this with all the benefits we get from these different things? You know, not not so much the microbeads. My complexion can do without them, but you know, with uh, all of the other, you know, we we gain a lot of benefit from this. Do you have thoughts on how to balance all that, or how to balance our concern with the benefits?
1: I mean, it is a really great question. I mean, I yeah, it's tough because I mean, I. I do a lot of this outreach and I read a lot of these papers and so I know like what drugs end up I know what drugs go right through us and end up in the water right and um, uh, a personal story I was prescribed a drug for an illness that I had and I knew that this was the type of drug that does not transform and I know it's ubiquitous in the environment and I felt super weird about taking it but it helped me live a better life and so I took it and so and, and I don't regret it and so you know I think I think that there's those there's always gonna be those trade-offs. Um, but yeah, I think that's really tricky. I mean, undoubtedly these pharmaceuticals have made our lives better.
2: But sometimes it's just handling of them. For instance, remember the old days when you had extra pharmaceuticals and the doctors and the vets would tell yeah. you to flush, flush them down the toilet. Yeah, flush. That them. that is something that you could address. Yeah. That's oh, a problem. Wellness, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 solve that problem.
1: Yep, and I mean and I think too that like as we learn, we change. And we adapt and try to – maybe we can't solve the problem, but we can stop contributing to the problem, right, in certain ways. That's a perfect example, and, I and, think, too. And not
0: letting the perfect be the enemy of the good is yes, something I think yeah. It's like, yeah, you're right. We're, we're trying real hard to be the shepherd, Ringo, right? And um, and it, it's hard to do sometimes, but it doesn't mean you give up, right?
1: And but- sometimes people – people can do certain things but they can't do others and so if you tell them you have to do x y and z or you're not doing good then people are just going to shut down so if you give them a suite of options and they can pick and choose what works with their life and what they're comfortable with um, then they can feel like they're making a real difference and i think that's good
0: one more one more spin of our wheel here sarah why don't you give it a spin No, we're going to go, okay, yeah, we'll do this one. Can we, buy a vowel here, is what the wheel landed on. That's what I meant. By, we're going to do this one. So this is a shout-out to Marta Veneer of the Indiana University of Bloomington, who's on Teach Me About the Great Lakes episode 52, where we learned what was the uh, Lakey Award winner for Great Lakes Fact of the Year last year, which is that your cat is loaded with micro or with uh, PFAS. Turns out your, your cat has a lot of PFAS, Sarah
1: just heard that yeah you heard Where it when I you were that? listening to the lakeys
0: you? yeah you were listening to the lakey awards which we do every year and he said the teaching about the great lakes fact of the year was that your cat is full of pfos but the name of her episode was uh uh can we buy a vowel here or something like that and so here we want to know what is a contaminant that is so emerging that we aren't yet giving it appropriate concern right that is the question here what is one that in the ECEC 2027 we're going to be talking about a lot.
1: I'd just like to state for the record that our fearless leader, Thomas Hook, asked me that question in my annual review, and I did not have an answer for Did not for have him. an answer.
0: But the good news is you went and researched it, so that you would have an answer for him next
1: week. Nope, so that I would punt it to John Scott, uh-huh.
2: research chemist extraordinaire. Well, let me get my crystal ball. Oh, nice. One thing I am thinking it might come up is a compound called Soloxanes. What is that? They are, uh, the inside of your soda can is coated with PDMS. And the PDMS is also turning out to be one of the, and the siloxanes are being used as alternatives for PFAS. Oh,
1: interesting. So
2: they have very similar properties to PFAS. So I definitely think that's one that's on my radar.
0: So, what is this PDM? Because I drink 250 million of these little fizzy pops a day. Like, fizzy pops? Uh, yeah. They uh, coat
2: the inside of the can to help the, the taste. Lighting. To help the taste. I do
0: like a good little PDM. What does PDM stand for? Is that one of these?
2: Yeah, that's a tough poly dimethylsiloxane. So. Great.
0: Right. And so it's helping my taste, but also. Meanwhile, my endocrine, like we talked about earlier, totally disrupted. Okay.
2: I think musks and fragr- fragrances too are going to be another one that we we see them at very high concentrations in wastewater. Type I produce of that naturally, so that's not a concern about me getting them elsewhere. Okay, but those are two that have been on my radar right now that I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think, I think in terms of, um, I think as a chemist, your worldview on these things is a little different than mine, and I think so. I think one of the things that I'm seeing, or that I have seen bits and pieces of, but I'm starting to see a lot more of now is road salt, too. So I think chlorides in particular. I mean, chlorides, you know, a teaspoon of, of salt can pollute gallons of water, and you can't really get it out. And we apply so much salt. in the. Way, I mean, it's the Midwest, right? It's like microplastics. The fleece is to microplastics as road salt is, you know, to... To chlorides, And so I think that's one that I'm now starting to see a lot of communities be worried about. I'm seeing a lot more legislate, not legislation, but ordinances about how you can can um, apply road salt or not apply road salt or beet juice alternatives and things like that. Um, yeah. And then sunscreens, I think, too, is another one.
0: Because here, speaking of the difference between Europe and the America, right? In Europe, they tend to use those physical blockers, right? Yeah, zinc oxide. Zinc mm-hmm.
1: oxide. I think that's what it is, zinc oxide. I bet. It,
0: what's the... Come on, John. What's the chemical uh, Z? What is
1: zinc? Z-N-O-2. 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 Zinc oxide. Or titanium dioxide.
0: Oh, that's yeah. T-I-O-2. Okay. I was getting there.
2: When we talk about what's the next emerging contaminant, too, a lot of times we have to look at the production of what they're, what people are making. Like, plastic is... One of the things I'm focused on because we make more plastic than anything else. So anytime you make something in such large amounts, you really have to ask yourself, well, where is it going? And that's a good indicator of what's the next emerging contaminant. What are we making in large quantities?
1: And maybe it's not the contaminant, but maybe it's a method. Maybe it goes from we're worried about plastics to we're worried about what's on the plastics or we're worried about the the vectors rather than vectors of existing contaminants rather than new contaminants.
2: And don't forget all the other pollutants that we were talking about in the past haven't gone away. No. They're still there.
0: That's the problem, right? They, they rarely have contaminants of uh, unemerging, whatever the opposite. De-merging? Like legacy yeah. Like a Well, they got those too, but they're, they're never going away, or at least rarely. So what I'm hearing is there's always going to be work to do, which means we will always be having the Emerging Contaminants Conference. Job security. Job security. And maybe more live podcasts. Who knows? But... John, Scott, thank you. This is interesting to hear about the different contaminants, emerging concern, trying to figure out what uh, analytical chemistry is exactly and discussing why we you know, dropped out of different parts of our schooling and, and how host we may or may not be. But that's actually not why we invited you on Teach Me About the Great Lakes this week. The reason that we invited you on Teach Me About the Great Lakes is to ask you two questions. And the first one is this. If you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast... Or a great sandwich for lunch, which one would you choose?
2: Oh, the Sandwich. Sandwich.
0: Okay. Okay. Sandwich? Sandwich. 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 All right. And where? So I am right now at the Emerging Contaminants Conference in Urbana-Champaign. Tomorrow, I'm skipping out on lunch. I'm going to get a sandwich.
2: Where am I going, John? For a Sandwich? Yes. Yes. I drive to Chicago for a really good sandwich. That's (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. Augustinos yeah. nice. north avenue fair enough
0: we're gonna have a meeting for a sea grant in chicago soon i will be at Augustinos. that sounds good uh we'll do a meeting there anyway so perfect Augustinos. it is all right great now the other thing is we like to share so we are a great lakes focus podcast is there a special place in other than Augustino's, um in the great lakes that you'd like to share with our audience and what what makes it special in your mind
2: uh, I guess where the coastal management program's at is Waukegan Harbor. I mean, it's, but it's not really. Is it really pretty? I, I mean, the lake kind of it's industrial, beautiful. but yeah, it's. Yeah. 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 The dunes is a pretty area. That's. Um, yeah. That's that's good.
1: The national park,
0: right? National park. Fantastic. Well, John Scott, senior analytical chemist at the Illinois Sustainable Technology Center. Thank you so much for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. My pleasure. Sir, where can people find out more about the uh, emerging contaminants work that you're doing, either the conference or the work that you do with Sea Grant or what have you?
1: So we have quite a bit of information on our Sea Grant website about different emerging contaminants, um, including a new PFAS RFP that we're going to be releasing really? pretty soon. Tell me about this. Yeah. So we're uh, we got a pro- we got funded to do a project in the Great Lakes looking at social and economic impacts of PFAS. So there's a lot of money out there for uh, monitoring projects and fate and transport and remediation, but there hasn't been a lot of work done on how it's impacting communities. And so we're going to have an RFP that we'll be releasing in May um, that will hopefully fund four projects, looking at that. And then if you're interested in more about the Emerging Contaminants Conference, uh, you can visit the Contaminants Conference website, which is at go.illinois.edu e-c-e-c.
0: Teach Me About the Great Lakes is brought to you by the fine people at Illinois, Indiana, Sea Grant. We encourage you to check out the great work we do at grant.org and at I-L-I-N Sea Grant on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Not TikTok, not legal at Purdue. Our senior producer is Carolyn Foley, and our producers are Hope Charters, Megan Gunn, and Renee Miles. Ethan Chitty is our associate producer and our fixer. Our super fun podcast artwork is by Joel Davenport, and the show is edited by the awesome Quinn Rose. Quinn, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please email it to teachmeaboutthegreatlakes at gmail.com or leave a message on our hotline. We have a hotline. 765 496 IISG. That's 4474, I think. IISG. You can also follow the show on Twitter at TeachGreatLakes, but unlike microplastics in the environment, the tweets are pretty scarce these days. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening and keep grading those lakes.